Others first. We've been doing a sermon series that we've called Others First, and that has got to be more than just an axiom. It's got to be more than just a, a cute saying. It has got to be, for us as believers, it's got to be a way of life. It's got to be a filter through which we live our daily life, looking for the opportunities to put others first. This is the way Jesus lived his life. And Jesus said to us, follow me. And so if we're going to follow him, it means that we too have to put others first. So last week we talked uh, uh, specifically about serving out of our giftedness. One of the ways that we put others first is by serving out of our giftedness. God has made each one of us unique. Uh, you have gifts that God has given you. You have skills, abilities. You have a temperament and a personality. And God has wired you and designed you unique, which means you have a, a critical role to play in what God is accomplishing through his spirit. Now, God didn't give you all the gifts. Uh, God has written other actors into this script. And, and so we aren't accountable to do everything but we are accountable to use that which God has given us, our gifts. I uh, came across a poem this week that I think is so good. It's written by Edward Hale, and it simply says this, I am only one. I'm only one, but I am still one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And because I can't do everything, I refuse to do, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. So the question before us is, what is the something that you can do, that God has called you to do? You can't do everything, but you can do something. So what is that, that something? This morning, we're going to continue our Others First series, and we're going to shift from serving out of our giftedness to serving out of our willingness. Oftentimes, serving just comes down to the question, are you willing or not? There's a need, there's an opportunity. God has placed you in a position to fill that need or opportunity, and it's simply a matter, are you willing or are you not? Join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Lord, we thank you for the, the power of your word. And we do ask you, as we've already sung, to open the eyes of our hearts or challenge our minds, confront our assumptions, encourage our spirits so that we might follow you more faithfully. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning's scripture is familiar, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And because it's familiar, because it's so familiar, the danger is for us to think, I already know that one. I've heard it a thousand times. I know the moral of the story. I know all the different parts of the story. And so the danger is that we don't hear it. And so to, to confront that, we're going to present it, Nate and I, in just a, a slightly fresh way, a slightly different translation. I'm going to call this the, the rawhide translation. Thank you, Tom Craig, for the hat.
Ready, partner? Yeehaw. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law, Jesus said. How do you read it? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this, and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, and so he asked. So Jesus replied and said, there was a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they went away, leaving him half dead. But a priest who was traveling that same road just happened to come upon him, and when he saw him, Passed by on the other side of the road. But so too a Levite, he was also traveling down that same road, and when he came to the man and he saw him, he passed by on the other side as well. But then a Samaritan who was traveling that same road came and when he saw the man, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he put him on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day, he gave the owner of the inn two silver coins, and he said, take care of him, and I'll come back and reimburse you for any added expense you might have. Which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Well, the one who had mercy on him, said the expert in the law. Jesus said, go, do this. Let's go. <laughs> that was so much fun. I hope that was as much fun for you as it was for me. I haven't played the guitar in a long time, so my fingers are raw from pushing on those strings. So let, it's a familiar parable. And one of the things that was really helpful for me as I was thinking about how to play it is, is you have to like think through every part of the parable. So, so let's work our way through 
the parable. It begins, Jesus says, there was a, an expert in the law. So this is a, a Jewish expert in the law. This is a man who is trained in the scriptures. He knows the scriptures inside and out. He's skilled in debate. He's skilled in, in kind of argumentation. He's a lawyer. And so he's looking to get into an intellectual wrestling match with Jesus. What he wants to do, one, he wants to look good. And two, he wants to make Jesus look bad. He wants to pin Jesus. But that, uh, that plan unravels so quickly. Five seconds in, he asks Jesus a question, and Jesus executes this reverse, this masterful re reverse, and now the tester has become the, the testee. He's got to answer his own question. He asks, what must I do, teacher, to inherit eternal life? And instead of answering that question, Jesus says, well, you're the expert. You're the expert in the law. You tell us what's written in the law. How do you read it? And, and I don't think the, the expert even knows what's happening, but he just answers. And he answers with a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which is a scripture that every faithful Jew recites in the morning and at night. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he goes and he adds a complimentary verse from Leviticus that says, and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, this is an amazing answer. And Jesus says, well done. You have answered correctly. Now you've got the answer. Go and do this. But as we know, this expert really wasn't interested in the law. He was interested in looking good and make Jesus look bad. And that hasn't happened yet. And so he follows it up with another question. Who is my neighbor? Now, this is meant to be a real tricky question. In the first century, the, the social structure is a divided social structure. There are boundaries all over the place. You've got Jew and Gentile. You've got Israelite and Samaritan and Roman. You've got uh, man and woman. You've got clean and unclean. There's these stark divisions. And so this question, who is my neighbor, is forcing Jesus to say either... He's going to adhere to the, the social culture of the day. Well, your Israelites are your neighbor. Or he's going to go against the culture. And, and so it's forcing Jesus into a, a corner. The question, who is my neighbor, actually cuts across every culture of every age. It's a tricky question today. Who is our neighbor? Because we also have social boundaries. As believers, are the, are the refugees at the border, are they our neighbor as believers? Are the, the people in the other political party, the one that you don't like, are they your neighbors? Are the members of that, that community, the, the Black Lives Matter or the LGBTQ or, or pick your community, are they our neighbors? You see, the question cuts across every age. What's so evident from this passage is that our, our challenge as believers is not that we don't know what to do. We know what to do. This teacher in the law, he knew what to do. The challenge is not that we don't know what to do. It's just simply a matter of doing it. 
So the expert, he wants to complicate matters, and so he asks this question, skirting around anything that's going to actually force him to get into action, who's my neighbor? This time, instead of flipping the question on him, Jesus tells a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and left him half dead. So what about this man? What do we know about this man? Is this a, a Jew? Is it a Gentile? Is he an Israelite? A Roman? Is he a Samaritan? Is he a, a good man? Is he a godly man? Is he an honorable man? Is he an employed man, unemployed man? Rich, poor? Educated, uneducated, black, white. We don't know a single thing about this man. And, and I think Jesus has done that on purpose. He tells us nothing about this man because this man is every man, every woman, every person. This man is us. This man is you. The one thing we know about this, this man is that he's lying half dead. This is a man in need, and if somebody doesn't stop, he will probably soon be entirely dead. So now Jesus introduces us to some people, and he gives us a little more detail. It's a priest. This is a godly man, a good man, an educated man, a respected man, and he happened to be going down the same road. That's what the scripture says. He happened to be going down the same road when he saw this man on the side of the road. Are we to really believe that this just happened? As believers in a God who we say is sovereign, who is Lord over every molecule and every square inch of this universe, do things just happen? Do our paths just like accidentally intersect? Or is there a God who is sovereign over the affairs of men? If you believe that there is a God, and you believe that that God is sovereign, you know what it does? It takes others first to a whole new level. Because as you live your life and these things just happen, you know that it's more than something that's just circumstances and, and chances God's at work. When the shopper in front of you is paying for their, their things and they have one item that they can't afford, they've come up a little short, and you're standing behind them and you have the ability to help them, I don't think that that just happened. Then God has placed you there for an opportunity to, to be his light. When you pull into a parking lot and you see someone with their hood up on their car and their car battery's dead and, and you have the ability to help them, that didn't just happen. When I was in Hobby Lobby a couple months ago and I went into an aisle and there was a woman sobbing there, I don't think that just happened because we were both looking for the same color of paint. As believers, we don't think that things just happen. God is in control and so we live our daily life with our eyes open. All these seeming chance encounters. God, what, what are you doing here? What's the opportunity for me to put someone first? So the priest comes up. He knows what he should do. Absolutely. I mean, he's been raised on love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
and he chooses the other side of the road, and you can hear him singing as he passes by, me first. Me first. Well, fortunately for the man on the side of the road, there's a Levite right behind the priest who just happened to be strolling by, and he sees the man, and the, the Levite begins calculating, begins doing the equation in his, man, in his mind. What's it going to cost me if I stop? And what's it going to cost me if I don't stop? Am I going to feel guilty? And so he does the math, and the answer is not others first. The answer is me first. Whenever we start doing the calculations, it's always going to end with the same sum, me first. Because to stop is not going to make your life less stressful. It's not going to be easier to stop. It always, there's always a cost with stopping. As soon as we start calculating, we're done. So in the telling of this parable, we've got the priest, we've got the, the Levite, and, and the third person is supposed to be the hero, just in the, the, the form of storytelling. And that third person ought to be an Israelite because we've started with a priest We've moved to Levite, and now the hero of the story should be an Israelite. And if Jesus told the story that way, it would, the moral of the story would have been like, religious professionals are bad guys. Get rid of the religious professionals. But Jesus skips the, the, the Israelite and goes to the Samaritan. The hero of this story is going to be the Samaritan. And I wonder if Jesus were telling the parable to us today, who would be the hero of the story? What person, that person that maybe belongs to the community you most dislike, they're going to be the hero of the story. So Jesus makes the, the Samaritan the hero of the story. He comes and he sees the same thing that the priest saw, sees the same thing that the Levite saw, and he's got that moment where he's got to deliberate. Am I going to do something or am I not? And he chooses to, to take pity on this man and he gets close, he bandages wounds, he pours on oil and wine, puts him on his own donkey, they walk to an inn, he spends the night with him in the inn. The next day he promises to give the innkeeper two silver coins, the equivalent of probably two days wages to take care of him. And he even goes so far as to say, I'm gonna come back. And if there's any added expense, I'll pay that too. And this is a man you know that he's gonna follow through on what he promises to do. This is a man who's living according to the principle, others first. One of the, uh, the hurdles that we have to uh, overcome is our love of money. Uh, this parable confronts the two things that we cherish most. We cherish our time, probably more than we even cherish our money at this point. We cherish our time and we cherish our money. And if we're gonna live with the, the other's first mentality, the other's first lifestyle, it's going to challenge us on both of those fronts. You cannot make your, your busy schedule your God and lead an other's first life. And you cannot live with the love of money and, and lead an other's first life. It's going to challenge us on both fronts. Uh, I want to think about the person on the side of the road for just a second person is lying half dead and let's imagine that they are praying to God who are they praying for 
Are they praying for a, a priest to come by? Are they praying for a Levite to come by? Are they praying for an Israelite? Are they praying for a friend, a, a parent? I think what they're praying for is anybody. It doesn't matter who that person is. Somebody who's going to care enough to stop and help me. It's interesting because Jesus doesn't really answer the question, who is my neighbor? At the end, he says, who was a neighbor? He says to the man, who was a neighbor to the man who was, was beaten up half dead? Well, the, and the man can't even get himself to say Samaritan. And so he says, ah, oh, the one who had mercy on him. You see, Jesus flips the question. It's not about who is my neighbor. It's about the golden rule. If I were the person on the side of the road, who would I want to stop? anybody. I'd want somebody to, to do unto me what I, what I want them to, to be done. And so it's not about who is my neighbor, it's are you a neighbor? Are you willing to, to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love others as yourself? Twice Jesus says, do this. Go and do this. Our problem is not that we don't know. Our problem is just our, our willingness. It's not a matter of giftedness. It's a matter of willingness. I'm going to pray, and uh, I want to invite uh, the people up who are going to be sharing really quickly for our, our volunteer fair, but join me as we pray. Father God, uh, again, we thank you that you um, led the other's first life uh, by sending your son, Jesus Christ, who went all the way uh, to the cross and died for us. And Lord, uh, you have paid so much, and, and you ask us also to, to follow you, and there is a cost. Lord, it, it costs us time, sometimes it costs us money. And uh, it's so easy for us to choose the other side of the road. And so I, I pray even this week, Lord, I imagine that every one of us is going to have an opportunity this week where we have to make a decision. Am I willing to, to stop and be a good neighbor? And Lord, give us um, the courage uh, to trust you in that moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.